I think those things are particularly like fatal on mobile. If your user experience is an afterthought, if your user experience is not clean and you know tight and cohesive, people are just not going to stay with your app. You know, unless you're doing something incredibly unique, there's always going to be other alternatives out there. So if you don't if you don't really capture somebody right away, uh, you pretty much lose that user or that customer or whatever forever. This is Life in the Mobile Enterprise. Hi, this is Olivia, your host for Life in the Mobile Enterprise. And today I have with me Bill Bendrot from Electronic Arts, and he is the manager of services and mobile for the Employee Tools Group at EA. Thanks for joining me today, Bill. Thank you for having me. So to kick things off, mm-hmm. what is your background in mobility? Can you share a little bit on that with me? Sure. Um, I kind of started out my career in communications. Uh, so datacom and uh, telecommunications, um, did that for a number of years, um, and then got more into the, the software architecture and, and development side. I sort of re-engaged with communications and mobile in about, I don't know, 2003, 2004, somewhere around there, um, when I worked for BEA, specifically working on their communications platform, so SIP servers, um, network gatekeepers, um, IMS, things like that. But I didn't really do a whole lot on the mobile application side at the time. It was more on the communications and network side. When the iPhone came out in 2007, obviously that changed a lot of things, I think, for, for everybody. So I think in about 2009, 2010, um, I co-founded a... Uh, Small iOS development shop, did that for a couple of years, uh, sort of on the side with, with my other job. And then in 2011, I started working for EA, Electronic Arts, and, you know, got back more into the creation and, uh, you know, services architecture like that. But about 18 months ago, I moved over to the IT group and um, uh, I was basically tasked with building a, uh, an internal mobile development program. Um, because despite the fact that EA is, you know, one of the largest, you know, mobile game developers, we actually didn't have much of an internal mobile application program to speak of. There had been a couple of attempts at EA that really didn't, you know, really kind of get anywhere significant. So I came in and, uh, I've spent the last 18 months building the program and things are actually going quite well for us. Good infrastructure, um, some, you know, very good internal apps. So that's, that's pretty much where we are right now. Okay, great. So I'm sure you've picked up a lot of tips along the way. What do you think it Mm -hmm. takes to be a successful mobile practitioner? What's most important? I think probably the biggest thing is just because it is such a rapidly, you know, evolving area, you know, while the hardware seems to, you know, the pace of innovation is kind of slowed down a bit because things are reaching maturity. On the software and the services level, you know, I think things are, you know, progressing as rapidly as they ever have, if not faster. So you really need to to have a real hunger and, and passion for doing mobile type work, uh, just because it is, you're constantly staying on top of new things coming out. And at the same time, like you need to sort of be able to recognize things that are just, you know, kind of hot at the moment or or fads, um, you know, versus, you know, new directions or frameworks or technologies that actually can make a a pretty big material impact to the user base. Uh, I I think the the other thing that you need to keep in mind is that I, I think mobile more than perhaps any other type of, of computing before it, user experience is 
absolutely critical. Um, you know, we've all seen, you know, half-baked or, you know, uh, not really user-centric, you know, web apps and, and desktop apps, you know, um, everybody experiences them. I think those things are particularly, like, fatal on mobile. Um, if your user experience is an afterthought, if your user experience is not clean and, you know, tight and cohesive, people are just not going to stay with your app, you know, unless you're doing something incredibly unique, there's always going to be other alternatives out there. So if you don't, if you don't really capture somebody right away, uh, you pretty much lose that user or that customer or whatever forever. So you know, uh, working in the mobile space, whether you're on the application side or the services side, you really, really need to be thinking about the user experience and how you know what you're building is used and and sort of what that that moment is. Um, there was a um, a conference I went to a couple of years ago. It was a very good uh, talk by Stephen Forrester. Um, he talked about the concept of the mobile moment. What that really was is the idea that you should be thinking about for your mobile application, what is the trigger moment that would cause someone to take their phone out of their pocket to use your device, to use your application. And that really has kind of stayed with me. And it's it's kind of surprising how many, you know, app ideas sort of, you know, are, are brought to us that really haven't kind of narrowed down on that of like, why would you do this? Why is this important? Why would somebody choose to engage with us? So I think you sort of combine all those things together, just keeping pace with technology, looking for, you know, the, the right technology to, you know, um, to really enhance and, and fuel that user experience. And then just looking at everything through the eyes of the user. Um, I think those are all necessary to be successful. Okay, great. And when you're building a team, what are some standout qualities that you look for when you're building a mobility team? Um, I mean, as I said, I mean, it's everything is changing really, really rapidly. Um, so it's it's sort of the same deal that you know, your team really has to really love doing this stuff and keeping up with it and not view that as a negative and, and sort of a burden and, and a stress. It just has to be the type of thing where, you know, they're used to kind of spotting, you know, new tech or something new to learn and trying to apply it and, and master it as quickly as possible. And also sort of being able to evaluate a lot of the stuff, you know, as, as the wheat from the chaff, um, you know, as far as what tech or techniques or approaches are you should keep and then what parts of it you should sort of discard or move away from. Um so I, I definitely think that's that above all is probably the biggest thing, because um, otherwise this you know this is an, uh, a space that doesn't lend itself really well to people who just want to be kind of comfortable and sort of want to coast. You know, so you, you have to be motivated by that. Is I think the biggest thing, and then all the things I sort of talked about before with you know being a successful mobile practitioner it's it's the same deal for trying to build a team you, you need to have that really at, at every corner of the team whether it's your operations people your QA people uh, as well as your architects and engineers they all need to have sort of that that common passion and at the same time I think it's also really important uh, for the team to be able to understand, everybody else's role on the team and, and sort of, you know, if you're developing software, if that software is not easily testable, then that obviously has a negative effect on the, on the project overall. If, if you're not thinking about how the project or, you know, how the, the system or application is supported or managed or troubleshot or anything like that from an operation standpoint, I think that 
is uh, that causes major problems too. It's really only when your team sort of understands their role, but how their role impacts everybody else and how everybody else impacts them. And then what the cumulative effect is on the end user experience. I think then you actually wind up creating something pretty, pretty special and, and pretty, um, you know, cohesive. Okay. So in mobile, you're really constantly building and maintaining and thinking ahead to the future of what's mm-hmm. to come. Um, what's your stance on hybrid versus native? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, we are actually hybrid. Um, and we did that sort of for a very practical reason. Um, since we were building a team from the ground up, the, you know, we didn't really have a whole lot of people that were strictly iOS or Android developers. And that, those are really the two platforms internally that we support. And because of that, we, we sort of had to look of, you know, what do we have? And we already knew that our services platform was Node.js. So there, there was a, a core JavaScript, you know, JavaScript strength right there. So it just sort of made sense that you know, we had a, a number of resources on the web development side that were very talented that could pretty easily make the change over to doing an Apache Cordova type app. So it, it allowed us to kind of get up and running a lot quicker. You know, I mean, the stuff that my team produces aren't games, so we're not so much you know concerned about you know um, you know graphics rendering and, and things like that. It's you know these are more internal business applications, but they're also in in some cases, applications that support the game teams, uh, you know, to be able to do their jobs and, and to get mobile apps or mobile games, you know, tested. Um, so, you know, we do care about performance, but it was more a matter of being able to support Android and iOS with a single code base, uh, which just made staffing a lot easier for us. And truth be told, the, the, the hybrid um, frameworks, uh, in particular, we're using Ionic, um, have just gotten, you know, really good and to the point that they really do perform, you know, just as well or just about as well as, you know, the native uh, code bases. So, you know, it, it, it was sort of a, you know, by necessity uh, that we did it, but it's, it's actually, it's been working out pretty well for us. Um, it's pretty straightforward development for the most part. Um, and it also, you know, I mentioned before about, you know, DevOps and, you know, your QA group and everything else, the fact that top to bottom, our entire platform is JavaScript related, um, really actually helps out with our ability to set up, you know, the build systems and continuous testing and deployment and, you know, integration. Um, our QA teams and our staining teams actually have a much easier time because they're not sort of flipping between languages when they do things. They might be changing frameworks. Um but you know, even for the web apps that we create to, to support the mobile apps, they're Angular-based. So Angular and Ionic are actually very related. Um, so really, we you know, on the front end, we support Angular pretty much, or a variation thereof. And then on the back end, we support you know, Node.js. And it just it makes a lot of sense for us. Um, I do think that there are times and purposes for uh, native, but for the types of applications that we're, at least we're currently doing, it, it really hasn't come up for us too much, and the hybrid stuff is working quite well. Um, I do think knowledge of the native, you know, development for both the platforms is important, even in hybrid, at some level because of Apache Cordova. Because when you're dealing with those plugins, those pl- Plugins essentially have three parts to them. They have a JavaScript interface, and then you have native iOS, you know, and or Android code. 
that's in there. So being able to go in and actually look at, you know, Objective-C or Swift code and sort of understand what's going on. And the same thing with, you know, Java on the Android side um, definitely comes in handy. Um, but I, I think hybrid is actually pretty mature and pretty performant at this point. Okay. Do you see an impact on UX with hybrid versus native? Um, yes and no. Um, I mean, there, there are certainly certain UI, you know, uh, features and things like that, that are either available or much, you know, or, or, are sort of naturally performant on the native platforms. But, you know, with sort of modern, you know, CSS and HTML, um, it, it's really gotten to the point where you really can the same types of physics and everything that you have with the native interfaces, but with a web technology. Um, we're doing a, an application right now internally, um, just starting development on it, that is using, you know, essentially like the, the carousel metaphor, I think that a lot of people are, are familiar with. Um, and carousel has been one of those things that I think on desktop is just sort of, it's, it's a cute trick. Um, it's kind of a gimmick, I think, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that, like, the, the, the carousel metaphor on something that is as real estate constrained as uh, a mobile phone actually, in a lot of cases, can make a lot of sense. And as long as you can get, you know, the swiping between, you know, elements on the carousel to get it to spin for that to perform like it would natively, which is very possible now, um, but also getting, you know, cards to kind of flip and things like that. Um, I think you can do a lot of it now. There's definitely been a lot of improvement in the JavaScript uh, engines uh, in both Android and iOS in the last couple of years. And at this point, they're really so fast that um, I I think if they aren't just as fast as native, they're pretty close. Okay, great. So when you're evaluating different technologies, when Mm -hmm. do you decide that you want to build versus you want to buy it? You know, it's it's interesting. The five years that I've been at EA, um, I, one of the first things I was shocked at coming here was the fact that you know EA, for being you know a fairly big company, um, certainly you know one of, if not the biggest, um, game publisher. Um, it's a internally, it's a fairly risk positive environment for tech. Um, really, as long as you kind of do your homework um, and you know you're willing to either kind of fall on the sword or uh, be able to pivot very quickly if something doesn't pan out, you generally get fairly good leeway on all that. So because of that, I think you do wind up in the situation where you build a lot. And my sort of philosophy on that is you build what you can't buy. Um, now, you may not be able to buy it because it doesn't exist. You may not be able to buy it because it's too expensive or maybe it exists, but it doesn't quite go as far as you need it to or, or things like that. I think in those particular cases, that's when you really start looking at either do we really require all this extra stuff you know, to sort of justify you know, the pain or the cost or the, you know, the resources, or you just say, well, I guess we're going to build that. Um, and, you know, I, I tend to think that on areas like the applications and the services themselves, which for us tend to be highly customized and really, really specific, um, you are generally going to have to buy those, or, or I'm sorry, you have to build those. But on things like infrastructure, um, I, that's where I think you buy. Um, 
you know, in particular, uh, you know, for, you know, our MAM capabilities, which not only for internal distribution of things, but also we are using, um, you know, the Aperion MAM to power a number of our functions. Um, you know, a question came up very early on in one of the projects, uh, uh, well, can't we just build an MAM? Sure, my team can, but, you know, that's what we will spend the six, the next six to nine months to do. And once I sort of, you know, pointed out that, A, when you add up all of our salaries together over that time, it's probably more expensive than buying it. B, you're not going to get anything else out of us until that infrastructure is up and running. And C, you know, we're going to have to grow and maintain and, you know, uh, help the thing evolve over time, which is going to take, you know, time away from actually doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is build the apps. So, and it was the same thing for, you know, the MBAS that we're using, which is, um, you know, Feet Henry. Um, you know, could we have built all that custom in AWS or something like that? Yes. Um, is it worth our time to do so when I can sort of readily buy something and you have almost an infant, you know, instant infrastructure? I think that's just a, a better use of, uh, of our time and resources, you know, for the most part. Okay, so when it comes to building it, but it really comes down to the time and resources that it's going to take to build it and then as well as maintain it. So really you, in the cases where you can buy, that's the way that you go. Generally, yep. Okay, Um, so kind of a broad question to end Mm -hmm. on, but what do you think is next for mobile? I mean, that's, you know, that's, I think, the million dollar question for everybody. Uh, I, I think a lot of people are kind of betting on the things that are next, but I also think it's it's really hard to kind of predict what those things are. The big sea change moments of, of things like the, the iPhone, you know, uh, being released and, um, you know, the, the when, you know, Apple was first allowing the first apps in the App Store and things like that, those were obviously monumental changes to computing and mobile. Um, I think the innovations that we've seen in the last couple of years have been a lot more subtle, but in a lot of ways, I think they're actually more profound on the user experience. They're not necessarily outwardly flashy, like an entire device. But you look at, you know, things like Apple Pay um, and, and you know, Google Wallet and, you know, and, and various things like that. The fact that those are being, you know, even more rapidly accepted a lot of places, um, and you know, when you use that type of technology, someone can't steal your credit card number, and you know, and it, it, it just it winds up touching a little a lot of different parts of your life, and I think that's also a good you know example of the mobile moment that I was talking about before of. You know, I can use my watch or I can use, you know, my iPhone, you know, to pay for something. And it takes, you know, as long as it takes less amount of time, you know, or at least equal the amount of time that it would take me to use a credit card, then that's worth doing. So that's that's really thinking about what the user experience is there. Um, when, you know, it's taking more time or it's cumbersome or it's error prone, it's it's the same deal of not looking at the user experience of you know people are going to fumble with that once or twice and then they're never going to touch it again. Um, so I, I think there's a bunch of little things kind of happening like that that I do think add up to a, a very big change for um, you know mobile customers and mobile users. Um, you know you also have to look at kind of the hardware itself. While the hardware features have you know, definitely the pace is kind of slowed. And, and I think for an understandable reason of just we're at a point of maturity. Um, 
I do think like when you sort of look under the covers and you look at things like uh, the processor that's in the iPad Pro, that is basically as fast as a 2013 MacBook Air. So it's not that far of a stretch to think a couple of years from now, really mobile processors gonna do, are going to be at a, at a performance level, you know, at parity with, you know, a laptop. And all the things that that's sort of bringing up and, uh, you know, just the, the processing and graphics capabilities in, you know, a Nexus or, or you know, an iPhone 6S is well above and beyond what was in an, an Xbox 360, you know, eight years ago. So you look at sort of the quality of, you know, the, the graphics in games and the fact that they're on a retina display and, and you know, they, they are very, very high resolution. Um, you know, I, I think just a few years ago, it was kind of unimaginable to have that in your hands. So between uh, progression like that and then, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing things like VR come up again. Um, and I'm old enough that I've seen VR supposedly about to break you know, three or four times before, and it never really has yet. But, you know, we are at a point now, again, where the technology and, and the, you know, the speed and, and the price and everything are starting to hit a level where maybe this really is the beginning of, you know, VR on different consoles and then what that might lead to on, you know, mobile or, or things like that. I mean, it's, it's really hard to tell. Um, I do think it's a really exciting time right now. Um, but, you know, what I would sort of encourage other mobile, you know, developers and architects and designers to think about is it's sort of going back to the Apple Pay example. It's not always about the big flashy thing. There's there's a number of ways, whether it's biometrics, or, you know, or, you know, uh, GPS, things like that, that you really can add a lot to a mobile app to make it that much more useful and flexible and secure, Um and, you know, thereby increasing the amount of people that are actually, you know, like and use and, and uh, you know, advocate for your app. So um, I really do think it's an exciting time right now. And I think there's a lot of cool stuff starting to come out. Okay, great. Well, thanks for joining me today and sharing all these thoughts and your experience thus far in the mobile enterprise. Thank you very much. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode of Life in the Mobile Enterprise. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe on iTunes or catch each episode on the MAM blog at aperion.com slash MAM blog. Follow us on Twitter at Aperion and let us know what you think or email feedback and ideas to podcast at Until next time. Mm-hmm.